Welcome back to the eHunter podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Taryn Hunt. Excited to bring this podcast to you today and want to tell you guys thank you for the support you, you give us here at eHunter for the podcast, the website, everything that we do. Um, today's podcast is all about taxidermy and the questions that are around taxidermy. I think don't think a lot of us think about taxidermy until that animal's on the ground and then we think, oh goodness, now what are we going to do? So on the podcast today, I have Owen Kimberling. He is the owner of Prairie Ghost Artistry in Gillette, Wyoming. Owen's been a staff member for eHunter for quite some time. And he shares uh, just a few tips, tricks, answers quite a few questions about taxidermy and how we should prepare as we go on these hunts. So if you have questions about taxidermy or if you got some pretty cool hunts coming up, this is a great podcast for you to listen to. As always, we want to thank our sponsors, Vortex Optics, Vortex sponsors everything that we do here at eHunter, and we're grateful for them. Uh, really putting them to work right now, doing a lot of glassing, scouting, getting ready for the hunts that are coming up for us here in the, in the next couple of months. So excited to get behind that glass and hopefully harvest some pretty amazing animals. But want to thank Vortex for all that they do for us here at eHunter. So without further ado, guys, let's jump right into the podcast with Owen. Well, thanks for doing this, man. I really appreciate you coming on and, and talking to taxidermy with me a little bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. I appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity and, uh, you know, sometimes uh, sometimes our profession kind of gets uh, thrown under the bus, so it's yeah. not always talked about. So. <laughs> well, it's always talked about as soon as you kill a really big animal, and then you're like, oh, crap, who do I call now? That's That's usually when people right? think about it. Right, I know. <laughs> uh, yep. Uh, shoot, well, cool, man. Well, let's get going on this. Um, okay. I'm really excited to ask you a bunch of questions tonight, and uh, sure. hopefully I, I don't get uh, too far into the weeds, but, you know, I've, I've got friends. No, are, you're good. I've got friends that are taxidermists, and I've, I've just never, I've never really asked them the, the questions, and I thought, you know what, this is something I feel like people could really use, because, like, you know. Yeah, like we just said, most people don't think about it until they've killed that big animal, and then they're like, "Oh crap! Now what do I do with it?" So, hopefully, we can save some people some some anguish by getting them some information. Absolutely, you know it's funny because I just had uh, I just had a lady actually call me from uh, Nebraska. Uh, her and her daughter are actually coming out hunting uh, in a in about a month, and uh, so she had a ton of questions. <laughs> so I always get those kinds of calls, so I appreciate it. So nice, nice. Well, before we get too far into this, um, what, if you wouldn't mind, give us a little intro of who you are, what you do, what your company is, and and things like that, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Owen Kimberling. Um, I own Prairie Ghost Artistry LLC here in Gillette, Wyoming. Oh, I've been uh, doing taxidermy, I guess, for about eight years, I believe now. Wow. Uh, started as a uh, kind of as a hobby and uh, I was doing stuff for uh, friends uh, a good buddy of mine um, kind of showed me he used to be a taxidermist uh, back in Michigan years ago and he kind of showed me so we started doing it as a hobby um, I was still working in law enforcement then actually um, and uh, I got injured in line of duty and uh, kind of ended my career in that had to have a bunch of surgeries because I got severely injured and uh the business kind of just started from there, and uh, here I am um, in 2021, and I do about 300 some animals a, a year actually, and uh, just a one man show. I work here out of my house in Gillette, and uh, it's a it's a crazy thing. It's uh, it's actually uh, 
it's actually the best thing that I've probably done. I've, I was in law enforcement for over 15 years, and uh, that was a career, but I actually uh, enjoy this uh, a lot more than I did law enforcement. So. Oh, heck yeah, doing taxidermy is a whole lot more fun than uh, pulling oh, yeah, people absolutely. over, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Man, that's crazy. 300 animals a year. That's like, gosh, you're almost oh, one yeah. a day. It's, you know, it's, uh, you know, and that's, you know, that's kind of, you know, it varies, but I am over three, 300 animals this, this last year. Um, and, uh, oh, I, I'm way behind as you can imagine with oh, COVID has yeah. just been killing, been killing all of us, not just me, but even, even taxidermists that I know in other States or around the area, you, you know, even employ a lot of, a lot of guys, uh, to help them in their business. They're, everybody is just so far behind because of COVID. So but, uh, yeah, I, you know, I started, uh, early on and, you know, I think my first year I started, I, I think I had like 60 animals, give or take, and that's anything from euros to, to you know, actually mounts and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just been building ever since then. And now, yeah, now I'm over 300. I don't think I'm going too much farther. I can't, you know, I, like that. I do this all by myself. It's tough. Have you thought about bringing somebody else on to help you out? You know, it's, it's you know, I, I have, uh, you know, um, I have people that kind of help out at times. I, I have a cousin that lives in another state. He always flies in and he usually hunts, but he usually stays for a couple of weeks right at the beginning of the season and helps out do intake and skin animals with me and, and, you know, do all the paperwork and that type of stuff. My sister comes over, my wife helps out, you know, I have a son and a daughter and, and my son helps out more than my daughter does. My son helps <laughs> out where he can. Um, um, and then this last year I had, uh, um, I actually had a high school student that came in uh, when she would get off of, uh, off of, uh, out of school, uh, she wants to be a game warden. So she came in and, and, uh, was, was, uh, skidding animals and, and caping heads and stuff, uh, after school for a while. But, you know, I mean, as a small business owner, I mean, it kind of, and the way I do things is kind of, you know, I'm kind of hit or miss on, on how I do things. So it's been kind of tough, but I have people to help me out throughout the, usually throughout the year here and there. So nice. Nice. Well, one of the questions I really wanted to ask you was was about COVID. You kind of touched on it there that it really hurt you. Like specifically, what did COVID do to you guys as taxidermists? I know it like put a lot of things like you couldn't get a lot of things and and it's, whatnot. But what else did it do to you? You know, it's it's actually killing us. Um, I, I was I was just uh, just reading a uh, Instagram post from another taxidermist that I follow in North Carolina, and um, you know. One COVID for the last two years has been killing the tannery business, and it has been because most of the big tanneries are are back east. But there are some out west, but the biggest ones are back east. So that's usually where most of of the taxidermists that don't do their own tanning send send their capes and their hides. Uh-huh. And uh, you know, a year and a half, two years ago, it really started in, and the tanneries were starting to feel the effect, obviously, of the lockdowns and and all that stuff, and and uh, sending people home and not being able to get employees. You know, last year I was about three months behind, give or take, because of the tanneries. Right now I don't even know how far behind I am, but I'm I'm pretty far behind. I mean, I got capes this year uh, from this 2020 season uh, to about three and a half, four and a half months behind where I usually do. Um, as a matter of fact, I still have about 30-some capes out right now. And the tanneries that I talked to, they said that they're just so far behind because of other tanneries shutting down across the nation because of lack of employees. They can't get people to work 
you know, nobody wants to work for $15 an hour at a tannery when they can sit at home and do nothing for making more off the government, right? So it's tough, you know. And then on top of that, then you have the, the merchandise and the products. You know, I just, you know, for example, I, you know, over the last four months, I think I've gotten emails from all the manufacturers that I use. And every one of them has gone up either from about 3% to about 8% in cost. Uh, and that doesn't include, you know, all the shipping companies, you know, FedEx and UPS now are, are adding a, an additional $25 surcharge for anything over 50 pounds that you ship. Um, and then gas and diesel is just through the roof. But, you know, like for instance, today I was, I, I was telling somebody earlier, a friend of mine, you know, I went to order, um, I ordered some, some product today, uh, for some stuff and, and a little, I, I needed some paint. And the paint that I needed from the manufacturer has been sold out for like 10 months or, or been on back order for like 10 months because they they can't find employees at these places to make this stuff or, or product. They can't get products to make it. So I'm having to, the company is having to tell me that they can sell me these other two to try to mix this to make this, you know, and it's uh-huh. crazy. But wow. it's killing us. I'm telling you, it's inflation is killing us i you know like i said i just read this post from texas that i know from north carolina and he you know he said it perfectly he says you know unfortunately we have no idea what's going to happen this might put us all out of business at the end of the day you know if it continues to go up and we can't get you know product and, and inflation just continues to rise especially as a small business owner it's crazy oh yeah that's the bad thing about most taxidermists is it is small business and, and that's what COVID's doing i mean you look across the country so i'm in the the healthcare business uh, for my real job, um, running a home health company, and luckily I work for a huge—I mean, it's a—it's the second largest home health company in the in the nation. But all the smaller ones are getting—they can't stay in business. They don't have the the capital to stay in business, and so the 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 poor small business of the world right now are just getting just slammed. I don't think it's going to get any better over the next little bit either. But so all that most most taxidermists are small business type guys, and. Oh man, I just I, I've thought a yeah, lot about you, you guys. Sorry, go ahead. You know, it it was kind of interesting because last year, before the 2020 season, my wife and I were really we were really nervous because we were actually going to add on on to my place, add on to my shop, and that type of stuff. And you know, then COVID hit, so we were like, oh, we can't do that. We need to see how the season is gonna is gonna you know how it's gonna happen and stuff um, because of the lockdowns and everything. But last year, man, I mean, like you're in Wyoming, we got inundated from people from out of state inundated and it was because of all the lockdowns people wanted to get out and all the people just said heck with it we're gonna leave and we're gonna go hunting and that's i swear it was the craziest thing here it was the busiest season out hunting not you know not even for me i mean obviously it was the busiest season i've ever had but it was the busiest season just out hunting in general here in wyoming it's crazy oh yeah and uh you know i don't know you know, it, it was kind of crazy to see that. I'm not sure that's going to happen again this year. You know, I know that we're completely sold out of tags and that type of stuff. You know, we're in a horrible, horrible drought right now. It's terrible here mm-hmm. in Wyoming. I mean, it's where, where at least where we're at. And, you know, I mean, but the animals look good. Um, our numbers are down. But, you know, I don't know. I don't know what COVID's going to do. You know, obviously, they're trying to lock us down again, like, like they're trying to do. It's crazy. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm not sure, you know, I mean, I always know, you know, when, when I started doing this, you know, when I left law enforcement and, and uh, you know, going through all my stuff and, you know, building the business, 
I always knew it was always going to be a roller coaster year to year, you know, because you just never know how many clients you're always going to have. I mean, I have a ton of, of regular clients, even regular clients that are out of state, you know, clients now, but I mean, it's just, you know, it's always going to be that roller coaster because of people, you know, fluctuating in and out of the season, mm. you know, and, and I'm not a must, you know, I, I, I talked to a ton of my clients in the last two years that during COVID, you know, I had to create this little paragraph that I, I, I always text my clients before I start, you know, before I actually mount their, their animal or I call them. I'm like, you know, this whole thing, you know, I know because of COVID or, you know, do you want me to still, you know, proceed with your animal because you just know, don't know. And I, I told people the same thing. I'm like, look, I get it. I'm at the bottom of the, of the order. I want your family first. And, you know, luckily enough, I mean, knock on wood, I didn't have anybody, any clients that, uh, that backed out of, of any mounts or anything like that in the last two years during COVID. So good. I've been blessed there. Man, you know, you're right though. You had such a good point there because, well, I've, I hunted in Colorado and Utah last year and I don't think I've seen that many people on the mountain in a very, very long time. I swear everybody in COVID decided to go on the mountain and go hunt for some reason. I guess COVID crazy. just drove them yeah. to do it. <laughs> it was, uh, it was nuts. I had never, um, you know, and I talked to, you know, obviously we've only been here in Wyoming for since 2010, but uh, I never seen anything like what, what I saw this last year uh, during hunting season. It was, and that included from the beginning of archery season all the way through late season rifle. I had never seen that many people. Usually during archery season, you know, you just see a few guys here and there. Right. You know, usually most archery stuff is early season deer or, or elk hunting, you know, but I mean, I had never seen guys out where, where usually where we hunt, you know, during archery season. And it was just nonstop all all season long. I felt bad for fishing game. They were swamped, mm-hmm. you know, for like four months. It was crazy. But <laughs> it'll be it was interesting. Good. I mean, it was good for the economy. It was, it was. And it'll be interesting what it does this year too. I'll be interested to see if like where I hunted in Colorado, if it'll be a slam with people as it was last year. Cause I talked to a lot of people and there were a lot of people that were really frustrated because like, there's just, there's just too many people out on the mountain. You know, we can't even hunt deer right now cause there's just too many people. So I wonder if it'll frustrate people or if it's just going to continue on and more people are not going to be doing anything else, so they're going to want to get, get on the mountain and they're going to be hunting. So it's going to be interesting to see what the 2021 season brings. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, you know, the, like I said, our, our antelope numbers are down here in Wyoming, and we can blame it on 25 different things. But, you know, they're down. Um, it seems like, I mean, we sold out again, like always, and you know, for non-residents. So it seems like it's going to be a busy a busy season and with inflation you know mm-hmm. that's a that's another thing people need to think about with inflation uh people are going to be you know not not in you know they, they're not going to want to spend as much money but yet they're going to want to come out and take the best opportunity they can for the money that they already have spent right so i i think i think we're still going to see maybe not as many as we did last year because i think you know the country opened up quite a bit you know in the last year or you know eight nine months i guess but uh, I mean, us in Wyoming, I don't think we ever closed down. But um, you know, I think the rest of the other country have been open, you know, give or take for about eight nine months. And I think we'll still see big numbers out hunting. But not, I don't think it'll be like last year. Good. That makes me feel good because I I've been hoping that that was going to be how it turned out. I didn't. I mean, yeah. I love seeing a lot of guys on the mountain. But yeah, <laughs> I love seeing them out there. Yeah. Like you said, it's good for the economy, and it's you know it's good for hunting. It's good that a lot of people are getting into it and. Yep. 
Absolutely. I, I swear, hunting and golf are the two things that everybody got into. My two favorite hobbies. Everybody got into it last year. So, but yeah. But at the same time, I you know I would like to have a little bit of the mountain back to myself and not see a, yeah. a oh, ranger I, or something everywhere I, I go. I don't disagree. I don't disagree there. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk. Yeah. Uh, let's talk taxidermy. So, really, what I was hoping to do, Owen, is is just you know, like I said, a lot of people don't think about taxidermy until they actually kill that animal, and then they're like, oh crap, now what do I do, and who do I call, and and whatnot. So, I really kind of want to just give people a glimpse or an idea of what they really should do, how they pr- should prepare before they go on the hunt. What they should do um, when they do harvest that animal, how quickly they need to get it to a taxidermist, things like that. So let's let's start from kind of the beginning, and, and, and that is, what do you recommend that uh, hunters do before? Should you know, say I'm going to Colorado on a on a great mule deer hunt, should I contact a taxidermist before I leave, saying, hey, this this may or may not happen, or should I, you know, what do you recommend in in that situation? You know, it's like I told the lady today, and I mean, I get get quite a few of these phone calls, you know, uh, before the season, in midsummer, late summer, you know, and then and then right before the season. Um, You you know, it's like this. You know, we all that hunt out of state or whatever, we spend a lot of money on these tags and and rifles and vehicles and and onyx maps and all this studying and, and backpacks and boots and. But yeah, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, we all hope and dream that we're going to go and we're going to shoot this big animal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there's very few of the hunters, and I'm all, you know, usually just talking about non-residents. Uh, you know, there's very few that actually does or that do the research and they're like, okay, I need to research uh, lockers in the area of where I'm going to be. You know, that's that's one, if, if I need my animal cut up. Yep. And then two, if I do shoot something, you know, how am I going to, you know, feel, feel, dress it, you know, take care of it. And are there any tax terms in the area that I can take my animal to, you know, and I always tell people the same thing. I'm like, look, you know, just like the lady today, I said, you know, here, here's, here's the locker that I recommend. There's a couple in the area. I'm like, this is the closest one to me. I'm like, I pick up items from there. This is, you know, look up and she had their number. I'm like, give them a call, get your price. And that's what she needed. And I said, and then, you know, we can work into my stuff, you know, and I, I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, on that end to do it. And then look at, you know, look at weather, you know, because that makes a huge you know difference too. Are you coming early season? You know, it's 90 degrees out today. Right. You know, so if I'm, if I'm coming in August or September, okay, so now the weather is going to be hot. I need to look at, you know, a little bit differently than I am, whether it's snowing and it's going to be, you know, negative 20 out. You know, in the instance of taking care of your animal and on the on the same, you know, storyline of being able to take care of it for a taxidermist. Yeah. You know, but I do recommend, I do recommend, you know, contacting any taxidermist in the area that you're going to be, you know, researching them online, you know, and then doing the same for any lock. You know, and I'll, I'll be up front. You know, I am a self-taught taxidermist. You know, I consider myself a hunter's taxidermist. Yeah. Uh, I don't do competitions or anything like that. I don't believe in them. You know, I, and don't get me wrong, I, I've been to some competitions and I've sat through classes and i learned stuff. You know, I'm always you know, always up to learning. I, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, I don't consider myself an expert by any means, you know. But, you know, the, a lot of people, a lot of guys kind of get into this, you know, um, into this treasure trove of I need the best and the baddest. 
you know, and we, we all hear it. We all know them, you know, and, and sometimes we even do it, you know, it's, it's the same thing comparing sports skis to, you know, board decks or right. something like that, you know, I mean, and, you know, at the end of the day, you know, where you're going hunting, if you're going hunting in Colorado and, and you're going to Gunnison, you know, I'm going to research the taxidermists around there, you know, same thing with the lockers. And I'm going to, okay, there's four taxidermists. Okay. Well, I can look up social media is huge. Now I can look up social media, you know, Facebook, Instagram, whatever it may be, or if they have websites and look up and, and see, you know, compare and look at the pictures or whatever it may be. And some of the best taxidermists that I know don't have websites, yeah. don't have pictures online. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have a website, but I'm on social media and I get a ton of clientele because I advertise on social media. I put a ton of pictures on social media and that's what my out of state clients always tell me is they're like, you're one of the first ones to answer your phone and give it, you know, and, and have a conversation with us and we can see what type of work that you do because your pictures that you put online because some of these other guys don't, you know? So I think ultimately, I think that's the number one thing you should do if, you know, if you draw a tag and you're going out of state as a, as a uh, out of state resident, you know, uh, going in and hunting in these states. That's cool. And I, you know, I've kind of thought that and I've actually done that as as I've gone to different states and, or even, even within the same state, but you know, like, you know, going across state and I would find taxidermists in the area and always give them a call and just talk to them. And cause it seems like every taxidermist is a little bit different in what they, what they prefer. You know, do you want the whole animal? Do you want me to try and cape it? Do you, what, you know, what what do you want me to do in that situation? So usually I'll reach out beforehand just and, and more than anything honestly just to get to know them a little bit so that when i did call them saying hey i've got this animal they're like okay i know taryn he called me he already talked to me i you know i'm somewhat familiar with this guy's voice so yep. i mean i've had i've had several clients over the last few years that have called me numerous times or they even text i tell i tell them like text me you know i'm like i might not get right back to you but just make sure you put your name in there you know i'm like but i i will respond to you you know and i get a message of me on facebook or instagram same thing you know, and, and, you know, th- here, here's a big one that I always tell people. Uh, I tell people, you know, I ask them, I said, have you ever gutted or skinned or caped an animal? You know, and you always get that kind of hesitation and you get, well, yeah, you know, obviously everybody does. But yeah, but I, I, you know, I'm not sure about skinning or this and that. And I always say the same thing, like, go to YouTube <laughs> and just look yep. and type in how to cape a mule deer. I'm like, and if you want, I can send you some YouTube. And that's exactly what I told the lady today. I'm like, I'll send you some YouTube videos. I'm like, it's just a general information, you know, and, uh, you know, and it'll get you through. I mean, I've walked over the last eight years. I've probably walked 10 to 20 guys, probably how to cape an animal on the phone while they're in the field with the animal. That's good to know. I'm going to call you the next time I'm skinning an animal. (laughs) You know, and, you know, and I'm going to be honest. I mean, I'm not, I, you know, I know there are guys out there like me, but I I know some of them aren't that way, you know, but I, you know, I mean, I think the more research that you do as a hunter, uh, and, you know, and the more conversation that you have with this taxidermist, I I think is the bet is, is how you're going to win at the end of the day. And it'll be the better choice. I mean, I've always strived, you know, business wise, customer service you know, is, is, is where I'm at. That's why I consider myself a hunter's taxidermist. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I'm a hunter, you know, I'm a hunter first and foremost. And I want, you know, I want your stuff, you know, I want you to be proud of your animal when you give it to me and I give it back to you and you look at it and say, that's exactly how it was, you know? And, 
you know, I'm not, that's, I think that's kind of the separation between myself and somebody that's been winning world championships for, you know, 10 decades or however long. So, right. No, that's the kind of taxidermist I would want is a hunter's taxidermist. The one that, uh, knows how I feel when I bring that animal to you and, you know, knows kind of really what I, what, what I expect, what I'm looking for. And I think you've kind of got to be a hunter's taxidermist to be able to do that. So, oh yeah. so, okay. So we, out hunting, we you know they they shoot that animal, you know. Do you recommend that someone completely skin the animal all the way, you know, to the nose, or do you like to have them only go so far, or do you like them just bring the whole animal to you? What, what's your preference in that situation? Well, let, well, let me kind of, and I'll, I'll I'll answer that. Let me kind of go back on, you know. Obviously, it depends on the animal, right? On, okay. On how we're going to do it. You know, like it's like uh, let's just talk about Wyoming's number one animal, antelope. Antelope, pronghorn. Yeah. You know, and you can't do anything with the thing, <laughs> literally. <laughs> I mean, once you shoot it, you cannot drag it because if you drag it, the hair will fall out. Yep. You know, and you can't. I mean, if I mean, you can drag it, but you need to pick the shoulders up way off the ground. Yeah. Um. You know, and the more you touch it, the hair falls out, obviously, because the hair is hollow. You know, so, you know, and you're going to take that into consideration compared to a mule deer, right? Early season mule deer, you know, has the shorter hair, same thing. You don't want to drag it because, you know, obviously you can have more stuff marks that type of stuff. Right. You know, so, you know, you need to consider what type of animal you have. And obviously an elk or something bigger, you can't even move anyway. So you're pretty much stuck either way. Yeah. Um, but, you know, honestly, in the field, um, unless you... I, I would say this, and this is what I tell people, unless you've absolutely caped um, animals and you've been doing it for many years and you know exactly how to do it as far as caping around the ice and that stuff, I don't want any, I don't want you to do any of that. Okay. So I prefer that you just gut the animal, you know, you gut it to right to the sternum bone, um, and then you go about halfway back, you know, I'm talking four or five ribs, maybe even farther back, you know, go around uh, the body. Um, and then you just go straight up the back if that's what you're comfortable with and then just, you know, and just, just, uh, skin it around, uh, that way, you know, the legs and stuff, you know, skin it all the way up to the, to the, uh, vertebrae of the neck and then basically saw it off right there and bring, bring me, uh, the taxidermist, you know, the head with the, with the, the hide still on it and then the rest of it and then let me do the rest. And I think that's the best thing, you know, that's the best advice that you could give any, any of us. You know, um, obviously the number one rule that everybody knows, if you've ever hunted, you know, is you can never, never have too much hide for any animal when you yep. give it to the taxidermist. And trust me, in the last two weeks, I think I've had at least seven, eight animals that have been way short. <laughs> so, oh, man. I mean, and it's it's crazy. And it happens. I mean, it happens every year. I mean, guys are out in the field and their cuts are, are crooked or, or they just, you know, don't, don't leave us enough. So, what do you, but I what, think that's the best, you know. So. What do you do if it's short? I mean, do you have to find a different cape, or what do you do in those oh, situations? Oh, man, you know, it depends on how short it is. You know, obviously, you know, if you're talking like six, eight inches short, uh, there's really, you know, the way I'd always look at it is I, I look at the animal, and I'm like, man, this is going to be short, you know. And I'll, I'll usually try to tell the client, okay, you have a few options. Yeah, obviously, we could try to get another cape, and, you know, some of my clients are – you know, the majority are, okay, no big deal. Let's just get another cape if you have one or whatever it may be. 
you know, and then there's other clients that are like, man, I really want, that's my animal. I'm like, okay, well then, you know, let's, let's consider our options here. You know, we might have to alter the mannequin and if it's way short, I'm not going to alter the mannequin that, that short because then you just have a neck mount. Right. right. That looks funny. So, you know, it just kind of depends, you know, you know, the majority of the time it's usually just like, uh, you know, one side, you usually like, um, they've either shot the animal, uh, you know, behind the front leg or something or, or in the front leg. And so one side is shorter than the other. So you just kind of play with, okay, so the left side is real short and the right side's fine. So let's make sure that the left side is hidden in the back of the, of the mount and then the right side's open to your view when you're looking at it, you know, in front or whatever it may be. So, you know, again, I, you know, my, my best, you know, my suggestion and the way I do it is my conversation with my clients and just try to, I take pictures. If my clients are out of state and I'm looking at it, I take a lot of pictures. I text it to them. I'm like, here you go. I'm like, give me a call. And they call me and, you know, I bet 99% of the time they're like, Owen, just do what you think is best. Yeah. Do what you think is best. Yeah. You know, they're like, you're there, you're the professional. We trust you. Do what you think is best. You know, and at the end of the day, they're usually happy with it. So, so at the end of the day, leave as much hide on that as you can. <laughs> In fact, Absolutely. it's funny as I've, I'm, I'm still yet to kill a big bull elk. I've killed spike elk and uh-huh. and whatnot and, yeah. and cows. And everything, every time I do, um, I get, I've killed smaller bull elk too. Um, but every time I do, I'm always like thinking, okay, if this was a, a you know, 400 inch bull what would I do with it? And that's how I, I take care of it just to practice just so that when that time comes, yep. hopefully that time comes, um, yep. I don't have a, a pissed taxidermist at me. <laughs> no. And you know, I mean it, you know, uh, I think, you know, as long as you have enough, obviously if you make other cuts and stuff, you know, you're I mean, we're going to have to sell. I yeah. mean the, you know, number, number one thing, one of the number, well, top five things we do is sewing, you know I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I could spend, I've spent, you know, a couple hours before sewing, uh, you know, a cape for a deer, you know, or, wow. or, or an elk, you know, because, you know, somebody cut it here or whatever it may be, but, you know, it is what it is at the end of the day with that, you know, a lot, a lot of people, you know, you know, not leaving enough is one thing, or, um, sometimes they get confused on what to do with the legs, yeah. you know, and the best advice I could give on that is, you know, when you go up to the sternum and you stop when you gut it and then you go back, you know, five, four or five ribs back and then you cut around, you know, go to those legs, go right to the back of them, you know, and you have two choices. Either you could cut the leg off at the knuckle and then, you know, skin the inside around, you know, the leg and then try to pop, you know, the leg itself, you know, through the cape, or you could just take your knife and run right up the back of the leg and then right up to like the armpit and then right straight to you know, the chest, you know, uh-huh. to the sternum, which you've already cut, you know, kind of makes a V. Yeah. And honestly, you know, unless you're, unless we're doing like a, uh, a wall pedestal that's, you know, that's way back or something like that, you know, all that's going to be plenty long enough. Uh, and sometimes I have to sew that, but you know what, I would rather have that at the end of the day than some random cut or something like that. Yeah. Now, see, that's what I usually try to do on mine is cut up the back of the leg and make that V there to try and yep. leave as much as I can yep. and without yep. just completely haggering it. So, and I yep. and I do find yep. that uh, I go through a lot of blades. I'm an outdoor edge kind of guy, and I end up oh, going yeah. through a yeah. ton of blades, especially on an on an elk, a, a bull elk man. Those things. Oh yeah, terrible. They eat up terrible. blades. 
terrible. Yeah, when that when that height is like a, you know, three quarters of an inch or or an inch thick, it's terrible. Oh, it's terrible. Absolutely horrible. What about? Yep. Um, I mean, does it change? Like, and what I'm thinking is like, say someone shoots this trophy animal right next to the road. I mean, would it be best just to gut that thing and bring the and bring the whole animal to you from there? Yeah, you know, um, so, uh, you know, we have, um, uh, we're lucky here uh, because both of the uh, lockers here, actually, if you take their animal to them, uh, they'll charge you like 25 bucks when you take it in to have a process. They'll hang it up on their hangers and they'll cape it for you. Uh, and basically oh. you tell them, hey, it's for a taxidermist. They'll cut off the head, they'll cape it, you know, like you would in the field. They'll cape it, cut off the head, and they leave it for the taxidermist to pick up. So, you know, that's why I said, I, you know, I pick up heads all the time at the lockers here in town. Oh, uh, or, you know, or, yeah, I, I've, had, I've had guys call me and they're like, hey, I gutted this, but I have no idea what else to do. Can you please do this? You know, and, uh-huh. you know, usually unless I'm completely swamped at that moment, I'll be like, okay, bring it in to me and I'll just do it real quick. You know, and I'll do it on the, on your, uh, you know, in the truck bed of your truck. Or if I have people helping me, they'll help and, or do it real quick. Or I'll throw it on one of my tables and I'll just do it real quick. Okay. You know, and, you know, I, I can't answer, you know, how, if, if a lot of other guys do that. I mean, I, I know that there are taxidermists out there that do it. Um, but yeah, luckily here in, in Campbell County where we're at, um, are both of our lockers and I even know the lockers in some of the other counties do the same exact thing. And the way I look at it is like, I was telling the lady today, I'm like, you know what, for 25 bucks, yeah. I'm like, if you don't know what to do, you know, and you can't get a hold of me or I'm swamped, that's the best thing to do. Those guys will just hang it up real quick and they'll just, it's, you know, it's a five, five, 10 minutes at the most for them. And it's done. They know exactly how I want it or how we want it. They'll cut it off, and they, you leave it there for us to pick up, or they'll give it right back to you to bring to us. I'm oh, like, honestly, man. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, how could you beat that, honestly? You can't. You know, so. you can't beat that. That's a sweet deal. And I think I, I think the only thing on that is depending on the weather, you know, so you need to really, you know, if it's early, you know, like, you know, antelope season here opens in a couple of weeks. Uh-huh. So if it's 90 degrees out, you need to make sure that you bring that. If you bring that animal in whole, whole you need to do it, like, now. Yeah. I mean, they're, you know, you can't drive around for two hours and then decide that you're going to bring that animal in and try to do that, you know. Yeah. But uh, it needs to come in now because, you know, a lot of people don't understand that the heat, uh, you know, that an animal has that, that'll get trapped inside, you know, between that hide and that and that meat stuff. And it'll run on hot days, even the bed of the truck or the sun shining on it, whatever, it'll go bad quickly. Yes. So. I know that from experience with antelope, especially. Um, it shot an antelope. It was it was about a two-hour drive to get it home. I didn't have a, a big enough cooler to put it in, and uh, yeah, it doesn't take long for the that gamey smell to get into that meat, and ooh, makes it no, it doesn't. Funky. You know, and I mean, you know, um, it's it's crazy. I've 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 learned over the years. There's really, at the end of the day, I don't know if there's anything really that you can do to prevent slipping yeah um you know a lot of people think oh you know this and that and, you know honestly it's bacteria that's that gets in there and uh you know i mean i've seen over the years it kind of varies year to year but obviously the number one area that animals always slip is behind the ears mm-hmm. and it's mainly because there's so much heat behind the ears and it doesn't matter what animal always behind the ears 
um, and then the in the face. Um, and I think a lot of the stuff on the face, usually on the nose uh, area, and I think that that kind of has to do with uh, having full exposure to the sun after they kill the animal. Um, a lot of guys think, oh, well, I, I caped it out, and the and the and the cape is all you know back in the back of my truck, and I'm driving 80 down the road, but and it, you know everything should be fine. I'm like. Well, yeah, but you're also forgetting that it's 90 degrees out and yeah. the sun is shining straight into your truck, maybe off your window or just off the paint off your truck, and it's roasting. Yeah, it's literally roasting that head, you know. And then, you know, sometimes I, I, you know, I'm I'm an honest guy. I tell people, I'm like, okay, just because you bring it to me doesn't mean I can jump on it like right now. Right. You know, I think I think there was one day last year I had like 25 antelope. <laughs> here laying here oh, on the floor gosh. you know and i mean it was nuts and i was like oh my god i don't even know i mean i had like two or three guys helping me about i was like i don't even know what to do right now i mean i have so many animals that are coming in right now and uh so you know sometimes i just tell people i'm like look just because you know you brought it to me within two hours it doesn't mean i'm able to jump on it right now you know so it's, it's important that you do your part to be able to keep it as cool as you can you know, before it gets to me or gets to attack. Man, that's crazy. You know, one thing I always think about with heat is, well, so here in Utah, well, I guess most states, archery hunting is, is the first one that comes available, and it's in August. And, like, the, the mule deer, their antlers are still, you know, they still have the velvet on them. Oh, yeah. And that's the one thing velvet, I yep. always worry about is that velvet. I never know what to do with it. You know, put it in a cooler with ice if it'll fit. You know, a lot of those antlers won't fit in a cooler. And uh, yeah. what do you do with those? You know what? You know, when I was a kid, we used to we used to back backpack in the high country. We used to go about fourteen to twenty miles in the back country, Whew. and uh, we used to at, at those days. My dad, you know, my dad, you know, growing up hunting in the seventies and eighties, you know, he used to backpack all the time to shoot some humongous bucks. Mm-hmm. And he would tell me, you know, best thing you do is formaldehyde. So yeah. we used to carry formaldehyde, and I used to carry a syringe always in my backpack. Nowadays, there's so many different products that can do pretty much the same thing. I mean, you can, you know, you can use anything from turpentine to denatured alcohol, you know, anything like that, even formaldehyde, if you can find it. There's all kinds of aftermarket products out there, velvet lock. There's all kinds of different things that you can buy to do the same thing. You know, buy a syringe and just take it and just, and just, you know, rinse it. You know, one of the biggest things about velvet, you know, animals, so velvet deer in particular during early season, the number one thing is do not grab those animals. Do Uh, not grab them. Yeah. You know, um, you know, try to keep your hands off of them as much as possible. Um, You know, if you cape that animal, you know, try to set that thing up and just do not touch it. You know, there's some, depending on when you shoot them, you know, that you'll be able to tell you're like, you can maybe grab them. You're like, oh man, I mean, it is like really loose and really bloody underneath. And, you know, if I touch this thing, it's like literally going to rip the whole thing off. Right. And then there's other velvet, velvet deer that you grab and you're like, man, it's stuck on there pretty good. It's not going anywhere. So it kind of varies. Um, you know, I, I always have guys early season that freak out. They call and they're like, man, I have this thing. And I'm like, just get it to me. Just don't touch it. You know, do the least amount of touching that you can get it to me. As soon as they, on those type of things, as soon as they get it to me, I usually will just, I'll, I'll keep the head out real quick. And then I will, I'll go into the process real quick. And I usually syringe the, the heck out of them. And 
with the different different products and uh sometimes i'll soak them in denatured alcohol the horn you know the antlers themselves and uh, then i use there's a process i'll hang them upside down let the blood drip out for like 24 hours and i'll redo i'll redo the process again with more more denatured alcohol or whatever product that i'm using at the moment and then i'll i'll let it hang again for another 24 hours and then i'll check it and then if it needs it again i'll do it again and let them hang upside down again and it's like a four or five day process oh wow uh just just to get it to where i can feel comfortable that majority of that blood is out you know, uh-huh. and then I continue on from there. So um, it takes a little bit when I'm doing them like that. Obviously, there's a ton of taxidermists now um, in the bigger areas like Utah. I'm sure where you're at, there's, a, you know, quite a bit of guys that have, uh, or I shouldn't say quite a bit, but there are a few guys that have freeze dryers, you know. Uh, yeah. And the freeze dryers are not cheap. They're like dollars $20,000. Oh, so, I mean, you have to have, yeah, they're expensive. I mean, you have to have, you know, you guys have the early season where the majority of those early deer are velvet bucks. So those taxidermists get a ton of velvet, you know, animals. So it, it makes sense for them to get. We don't get that many here. So, oh, gotcha. um, you know, I mean, freeze drying is the new thing for that type of stuff. They turn out perfect. But, yeah, I mean, I would only suggest that if you live somewhere like right close that you can drive, drive that buck to, you know, to the taxidermist as a freeze dryer. Gotcha. So the there's a company called Velva Antler Technologies. I, I think you mentioned yep. is it Velva Lock? Is that what you you mentioned? Yeah, is that, yeah. Is that like a good thing if you are hunting early season archery mule deer? Like, would that be a good thing to have in your backpack and just spray that on as soon as you, you shoot know, it? I would. Uh, yep. I would. You know, honestly, there's there's a couple things I would carry. Um, if you are doing a early season archery uh, or, or or even early season rifle deer hunt. Um, that you, you know, you figure the chances are pretty good that you might kill pretty, pretty good buck in the velvet. Uh-huh. And I would carry, definitely carry a couple syringes with you and some sort of product like that uh, in your backpack. You don't need a whole lot of it, but you just need enough to be able to start flushing that blood out. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it's, it's the blood underneath that velvet that makes it rot and then it makes it loose and it'll start to come off. But if you can wash that blood out, it'll start to dry up if you hang those horns upside down or just leave them alone. Um, and then the other product, obviously, or other thing would be salt. If you're hunting in the back country, and, oh. you know, early season deer, you better have salt on you if you plan on saving a cave, if you shoot a big buck. So you need okay. to carry some salt on you. Gotcha. That's good tips right there. That's really good tips. Cause most of my buddies, and I know of quite a few people that listen to this podcast, that's what their big thing is, early season archery mule deer. And so, it, you know, they're always killing yep. animals in the velvet. So those that's really I, good tips right there. That's, uh, yeah, I like I said, I, I learned that. I, you know, I was, you know, probably 10 years old when I started backpacking in the high country with my dad. And, and uh, you know, we, we took horses sometimes. And then uh, more likely we, or most of the time we, we backpacked in. Uh-huh. But I always carried that. I always carried that formaldehyde syringes, and I carried salt. Um, and I, you know, there's been a couple bucks when I was younger that I killed. You know, poking young bucks that I, I didn't have, <laughs> I didn't have uh, uh, either one of them with me, and I regret it. You know, I ended up having <laughs> to pay the price at the end of the day when I got home, and and had to go the route of uh, fake velvet and uh, a new cape. But uh, you know, that's that's definitely the two things that if you can fit it in, you know, uh, that's what I would do. I and you know, I had some clients that went to Alaska caribou hunting, 
Uh-huh. Um, I think it was la- I think it was last year, and they figured that they were going to be, you know, that they would kill some caribou. So uh, the one client asked me what I, you know, what I thought, and I said, "Man, you need to take some salt," you know. And he's like, "Yeah, I think I think you're right." And I said, "Yeah, you need you know take some." So we kind of we kind of got an idea of how much to pack, and and uh, he packed it and stuff. It's kind of funny story because when he went through or when they checked his bag and. They asked him what that white powder stuff was, and they actually made him <laughs> cut one of the bags open. <laughs> they thought it was crap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, that's you know those those two things are for early season mule deer hunting. Definite. That is a definite. So. Oh man, that that's good info. Heck yeah, I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Hey, let yep. me ask you a, a couple other questions here. Um, kind of go on. I mean, on the same topic. So now we're, we've moved on, and you got the you know. We got it done. We got it to you, and it's being um, worked on. How long? What's the turnaround on animals nowadays? Because I remember, gosh, back when I was a kid and first got into hunting, the taxidermist in my local well, here in my local town. I mean, it was he could take years to be completely honest with you to get an animal back to you. What's what's the turnaround on a, a shoulder mount for an elk these days? Man, you know, <laughs> million dollar question uh, right there, huh? <laughs> it is, you know, I, I think you can go to any, any tax room, even for, for guys like me that is just, you know, small business, one, one guy to, you know, other tax rooms that have multiple employees, you know, I mean, obviously there's big tax rooms out there that have, you know, five to 10, 12 guys working for them. And they're like, Oh, we get this done in three, four months, you know, oh. but you're going to pay extra that type stuff. Gotcha. Um, you know, for, but for somebody like me, you know, my, my, you know, the, usually the answer is always a year, right? I mean, that's always usually the answer. Okay. Um, you know, for the last probably, um, probably eight, well, probably the last seven years, I guess for me, it was always a year, but my usual turnaround time was anywhere between about average was anywhere between about nine, nine months to, to a year. I mean, sometimes you might get your animal back in six. You know, and I, again, that goes back to what I talked about early on the tannery. Yeah. You know, um, you know, I'm a one man show. I used to, when I first started, I, I did some of my tanning you know, on the deer and antelope myself. So it kind of helped a little bit, but that's not the case anymore. Cause obviously I have more, my numbers are more, but you know, so a lot of that time you're waiting on, on the tanneries and then everything else that goes along with that and all the other projects that you have. Um, but you know, the, honestly, I, I don't know. I, you know, I, I think that everybody could give you a, a different answer. I mean, there's some tax terms out there right now that could give you an answer of two years to yeah. three years, you know, on some animals. There's some different projects that are going to take longer. There's some guys that are just so busy and, you know, and they're, you know, experts or whatever, and they take, you know, minimum of two years. And, and I, I know those guys, and I, I, I hear the clients, you know, tell me that all the time. They're like, yeah, I dropped off this lion, and he flat out said it'd be two and a half years and I'm like okay I mean I don't I don't doubt it you yeah. know I mean I know the time the time it goes into stuff you know so, I mean it's just a process so so if you didn't if you weren't so busy if like say you had uh, this probably never ever will happen in in your future but say you had no projects to do and I brought you a bull elk and and the tanning the tannery was was quick like I mean, is six months a, a, a realistic turnaround time if you had nothing else going on? Or what's the fastest, yeah, I guess, you could months. do it? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the way I see it is, 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 you know, I can, everything is timing for, like, me, you mm-hmm. know. 
um, I'm lucky enough that the tannery that I use picks up from me once a month. Um, oh, so that's not, that's good. which is good. Yeah. Um, and then, and then during hunting season, it's really good because then I have, you know, 60, 70 capes that I'm, you know, getting to the semi, you know, once a month or whatever it may be. Um, if they can, you know, when I first started using this tannery, you know, they were, you know, two to four months. So, yeah, I mean, if, so, you know, if you bring me that elk in October and I get that elk out and let's say it just happens to be that the truck is coming three, three weeks from when you bring that to me. So I get that elk out in October, right, to the tannery. And I, I'm getting that, you know, that elk back. Um, let's just say it's November, December, January. I get that elk back in early March, you know, there's, and I don't have, you know, too much other stuff going on or whatever it may be. Yeah. I mean, that six months is, is could be close to reality and it still could be, even if the tannery is a little bit long, like I said, I mean, there for years, I was six months and I still am on some of my animals. I mean, there's still, I have still a ton of clients that I, I get stuff to six months, you know, after they drop it off. It's just, some of it just varies. It's, it, it really does, you know, and I'm going to be honest, the more damage to your animal that you have, it's going to yeah. take me a little bit longer. Right. So, you know, I mean, if I can jump on and I can mount two deer in a day that are perfectly fine, that don't have, you know, any, any abnormal sewing abnormal, which means, you know, no, hasn't been shot 10 times each, you know, and cut up the brisket eight inches, you know, um, I can mount those, you know, two to today and be done with those. And, you know, you might get those back in six months or maybe even sooner or, you know, might be eight months. It just, it just depends. So. Gotcha. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, depending on the, the product that's brought into you, it would definitely dictate yep. to how long it's, it's going to take to, to get it done. And, and I'm, I know there's a Correct. ton of variables as far as, yeah, the, the product, the supplies, how busy you are. I mean, I guess kind of what I want to get out there is that, you know, for most people taking an animal to a taxidermist is just be patient. You know, it's, it, if it does take two years or three years, Hey, you know, just know that you're going to have a good product when it's done and it's going to be what you want uh, it to be. It's tough. You know, I mean, my wife and I were looking yesterday, we rearranged some stuff and, and, uh, yesterday and, and, uh, I was looking at my stuff and I get it. I mean, you know, I mean, I have some, there's some big animals in there right now. And I'm like, man, you know, my wife says, yeah, there's, you know, there's some people waiting on these. And I said, yeah, I mean, I know. And they, and they know it, you know, and I get texts, you know, and, and majority of the time it's just like, Hey, just checking on the progress or whatever, you know, I haven't heard from you in a little bit or whatever it may be. Um, and I, I would say the majority, majority of hunters understand there are a few, you know, obviously there are a few that kind of, you know, don't, um, but that's, that's, you know, that's everything in life. I was going to say but, that um, whether it doesn't matter what field you're in there, there's always those people, you know? And on top of that, I would rather say, Hey, you know what, Taryn, my, your, your elk's going to be a year minimum. Okay. Yeah. Or might even be 14 months. And all of a sudden at seven months, I text you a picture of your elk and it's mounted. And you're like, what the heck? Yeah. You know, and you're ecstatic about it being mounted and done. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, and I get those guys all the time and they're happy, you know, and, and I get it. I mean, everybody wants, you know, everybody wants their animal. They've dropped it off for a reason, you know, and that's their memory of, of the hunt that they had here, you know, of, of that trip. And, and they just want it back so they can look at it, you know, just like we all do at the end of the day. So I understand that completely. 
<laughs> my taxidermist in Colorado did that to me this last year. I dropped off my, I shot a, a really nice uh, bull elk in, in Colorado. I just, I just wanted a Euro mounted. And when I took it in there, I was like, well, how long is it going to be? He's like, oh, you probably better give me six months. And I'm like, for a Euro mount? I, I thought to myself, that's a lot, but he's a bit, you know, a busy shop. I was like, okay, six months. He called me 60 days later. Hey, Taryn, come pick up your, your bull and sent me a picture of it. I was like, oh, that's so I, that, that was very cool to get it back earlier than it's, planned. And I, it, I think he knew what he was doing. It's, you know, it's the way I've, you know, and it's always been, you know, a learning curve for me on all this stuff that I do. Cause obviously before I started this, I'd never planned on being in business for myself. So everything I do is always a learning curve to something. And, and I think that's the better, you know, what he just, what he did is the same thing I do, you know, and sometimes I, you know, falter a little bit, but you know, if I give you an expectation of, Hey, it's going to be six months to a year. And like, you know, and it's three months that I call you and you're, I'm like, Hey, here's a snap pick of, of your elf. You're ecstatic, right? You're through the roof. Exactly. You, you can't believe it. Right. Yeah. But then again, if it's, eight months you're like okay yeah he, he told me six months to a year you know and sometimes you know some people will look at me and they're like especially on european everybody thinks a european is the easiest thing to do right no it's, <laughs> depends it's on how you do one it one of the most hate <laughs> it's one of the most hated things ever but uh <laughs> i've done know, it myself it, and it, it is miserable <laughs> you know it still takes time regardless and yeah and again you know if, if that's all I did every day, then yeah, I could get it done in, in a week or two, yeah. you know, but it's not, you know, I'm taking in animals and I got all this other stuff, just like every other taxidermist out there. So, and there's a lot of taxidermists that don't like them completely. They hate them. Oh, really? You know? And, uh, so, I mean, it's just tough, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah they, they don't. And, and oh, why don't they, why don't they like them? Well, because when I did my own, because, it was that boiling part was just so nasty. Well, and, I mean, even oh. even if you use okay, whether you use boiling or macreation, uh-huh. or you use beetles, beetles right? It's still yeah. nasty. Okay, and it still takes time. So that's one of the reasons why. But the other reason is that taxidermists are artists, the majority of them. So they would rather do the mounts because that's what they enjoy more. Yeah, and that's where they're going to make the most money, right? I mean. You know, European mounts, you're making, basically, you're making, like, your fast money, okay, even though it's, they're not fast. Right. But that's where you're making your fast money. You know, on the mounts, you're taking more pride and joy into it, and you're making more money, and you're more of an artist if that's what you see yourself as. So that's the main reasons right there. Man, that's a really good point, because he really tried to talk uh, me into mounting it. I, I didn't bring in the cape or anything. He's like, dude, I've got a cape right here. I'll just do a shoulder mount for you. I'm like, and he, I was like, how much is it? And it, when he told me, I was like, man, it's, you know, it's, it was more obviously, but when I compared it to what I was yeah. paying for the Euro, I was like, man, that's really not that bad. And I mean, he really had me thinking, uh, like, should I really do a shoulder mount on this with his, his uh, cape that he's got? And, but that makes sense of why he wanted to talk me into doing that. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I'd learned that from, I, I actually learned that, you know, a few years back from, taxidermists that have been doing it for you know 20 some years and that's what they kind of told me so then when i sat there and i listened to what they told me and i was like you know what that makes 100 percent sense yeah. now that i'm thinking about that of what i'm doing yeah you know i do probably i think my average right now is about 130 euros a season uh which is crazy that and is. it's a lot it's ridiculous and um so the other taxidermists around here, 
they don't care to do them and they actually send them out to get done. So it's, you know, so, and they charge way more than I do. So it's kind of a, I kind of get, (laughs) I kind of get the end of it, you know, because (laughs) I get more of them because I do them, you know, and people trust me to do them and that type of stuff. But at the end of the day, when I was talking to them and they were explaining it to me, I was like, you know what? That makes more sense. I'd rather mount. Uh, you know, a 30-inch mule deer or a 16-inch antelope or, you know, 350-inch bull rather than do this European, you know what I mean? So yeah. even though I like European, but... But it makes sense yeah, to do I mean, the, the full shoulder mount you know, on them. Yeah, and, and you know, Euros were, were uh, they still are big, but they were really big a few years back for whatever reason. They, I know it's always trendy, mm-hmm. but, man, I did. There for a few years, I was doing so many different projects with Euros. I was doing barn wood scenes and all yeah, kinds night. of things with them you know i mean it was crazy this the type of stuff that i was making um you know with just like a regular you know 24 inch you know mule deer euro and then i would make a you know this barnwood um you know uh window looking thing and have a log coming down and a scene and the and the head would sit right in the middle man i did all kinds of crazy stuff with those euros and it was like a huge trend for a few years Jeez. you know it's funny you say that because I'm sitting yeah. here and I've got three of my Euro mounts like sitting right next to me, and it's funny how different they were all done. And yeah, you can definitely tell we went through a a trend. And you're right; I guess you really don't see a lot of not a ton of Euros nowadays like you were. I think. Oh, you well, yeah. I mean, they still they're still there. Uh, Pinterest, you know, I tell everybody because I have pictures on Pinterest and and stuff. I have all kinds of pictures on Pinterest. Um, but Pinterest, you know, I tell guys all the time, I'm like, go to Pinterest. I'm like, you know, one, you can look at, uh, shoulder mounts, you uh-huh. know, regular taxidermy mounts, all kinds of different scenes of animals. I'm like, and then euros, you can see all kinds of different designs. And I have a bunch of them on there, but yeah, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, if you can think, and on top of that, and the one thing we all know, um, you know, the majority of wives, you know, would rather see some Euro that has some sort of barn wood scene or something. And they would rather, you know, yeah. they would rather like that rather than some just deadhead sitting up, <laughs> sitting up on the wall, to, you know, staring at people when they walk in. Or right. See, so. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I feel like though I'm seeing it, like you're talking about, you know, like just a regular 24 inch mule deer. I feel like there's a lot more people just doing a shoulder mount on those nowadays than they are, than, than Euro mounts. I feel like I follow a lot of taxidermists. I guess this is this is where I'm getting my information from is social media, um, but I follow a lot of taxidermists on social media, and I I'm seeing a lot of bucks that are shoulder mounted that I don't know that I would have seen in the past. It would have just been a euro mount, but I feel like a lot of people are yeah. actually mounting them. You know, uh, I get uh, so two things on that. I think one is is what is the questions I get all the time that guys come in, and they'll look at me and they're like, "What do you think?" <laughs> and I look at them and unless they're like a regular client from like here in town, yeah, you know, most the majority are, are out of state clients and I'll look at them and say, is that the, usually it's pronghorn. Is that the first, you know, animal that you've ever shot? You know, well, yeah. Are you planning on coming back? Well, probably not for years. I'm like, well, what do you think about it? And they'll say, and I'm like, it doesn't matter what I think at the end of the day, right. you know, I mean, I'm, I'm going to tell you, you know, sometimes I'll, sometimes I will step in and say, mm, I think that deer needs to be mounted, Yeah. you know, or that antelope needs, or that elk needs, I mean, and I have done that a few times and they were very thankful at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, when you have 185 inch mule deer and they're like, well, I'm, not, I'm like, 
uh, that deer needs to be watched. Yeah, put that on the wall. You know, but, yep. um, you know, I think that's one of it, you know. So, again, it kind of goes back to that whole aspect of spending the money um, and getting what you want out of it, you know, on those tags and rifles and trucks and gas and all that type stuff. Yeah. And then I think, you know, I think also think that we have a ton of new hunters um, or outdoorsmen or outdoors women in, in, in the field now. And, uh, you know, those 20 inch bucks, you know, are the biggest things that they've ever sh- seen or shot. True. You know, I mean, I know, I, you know, I mean, I know guys that I hunted, you know, with for years that, you know, their biggest animals were 24 inch mule deer, yeah. you know, especially like a bow, you know, and I always tell people a bow kills a bow kill. Yeah. I mean, that's a trophy. Literally. Oh yeah. You know, any, any bow kills a trophy. Yeah, you, you can know? put any boat but I think on at the, the end wall of the day, proud of you. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, I think those are, are kind of the factors, you know, in it is, is what do you see? You know, do you see that 20, that 24-inch mule deer as just that? Or do you see it as, hey, this could be my last trip with my dad, or this is our first time with my son that I've been out of state, or that type of stuff, and how much money I've spent on it, yeah. you know? And I think that's the difference. You know, I get guys that walk in all the time you're like, man, I can't believe some of the stuff that these guys mount. And I'm like, it doesn't matter what you think. Exactly. You know, I mean, it, it truly doesn't. It, it's up to them, you know, and that's the way I look at it, you know. And, uh, you know, it's the same thing, you know, they'll tell me, you know, well, why don't, you know, why do you allow them to do that? I'm like, what do you mean, why do I allow them to do that? I mean, it's their hunt. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's their, it, yeah, I mean, it's, it's their, it's their thing. I mean, we all sit there. You know, because I do the same thing. I mean, we all sit there and stare at the animal that's hanging on the wall. Am I yep. looking at the animal and the size, or am I looking at where I was when that happened and who who was with me or whatever it may be? You know, I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, for instance, I mean, my sister has a 400-inch bull hanging Oof. on the wall that I mounted a couple years ago, and uh, I mean, I was laying right next to her when she shot it. I mean, and my cousin was on the other side, and. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's a humongous bull, first of all. But, I mean, I'm looking at, you know, when I look at that, that's what I see. Exactly. You know, I remember seeing that. And then I remember walking up to the elk with her, you know. And, I mean, I've done it. I had done it numerous times with her. She had killed numerous elk before that, you know. But that time was obviously special. Yeah. And that's what I see when I look at that. Or even when I do it with my kids, same thing, you know. I mean, my, my son shot his first meal deer this, this last year and, you know, I mean, it was the greatest thing ever. So, you know, that's all that matters. You know, it was, a, I, it was about that. I think it was a 24 inch three pointer, you know, that he shot with his bow. So, Put and my dad was wall. with us. My, yeah, my sister was with us. And I mean, just the look on his face when he shot it, he trailed it and this and that. And he walked up to it late on. That's what matters. It doesn't matter the size of it. So, yeah, that's such a good point. Cause I'm sitting here looking at my, you know, I've got, I'm, I'm sitting in my room right now where I have all of my, my mounts and as well as a lot of my father-in-law's mounts that I was with him on when, when he shot him. And yeah, I, I don't look at that, like that deer or that elk and think, Oh, you know, oh, that, that scores this or, Oh, I need to get my tape measure out and really find out what that scores. No. Yeah. I think about the memories that I have and, and my father-in-law's gone now. And so, you know, I, I think a lot of the memories him and I had together hunting and uh, yeah, I couldn't care less about what that, the score of that animal is. Like, one thing I care about is the time that I no, spent with him on the mountain. And I think, yeah, and I think, you know, me, I, I have two views on it. Me as a hunter and also me as a taxidermist now, 
I think that's where we've seen the shift over the you know last decade or so is is everything about score nowadays almost, and we're starting to see it. Sh- I, I think we're starting to see it shift back a little bit to who cares what the score is for yeah. the most part. Um, you know, I definitely can tell you that the residents here in Wyoming aren't all about that. Good. You know, the majority of the residents here in Wyoming are yeah they like shooting big animals, but they're more about you know big animals and quality of hunt and that type of stuff. Yeah. But I think over you know. I mean, we can all we can blame it at all kinds of things, celebrity, you know, hunters and all, all this stuff on prime time. And you know, you're only gonna, you know, go for 10, 15 years on on prime time if you're shooting, you know, 200 inch neo deer or whatever it may be. Right. But you know, I I think that's where the shift has been, and I I get it all the time. Obviously, I mean, I'm sure you know it. Oh and yeah. So do other taxidermists. You have you have guys walk in and they're like, you know, what's that thing score? Or man, can I get this thing score? And, you know, scored, and I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be honest, and and some guys will probably laugh, is, you know, and and I know there's other customers that are like me and different. Sometimes I'll score animals right there if I think it needs to be scored right there, but a lot of times I'll tell guys I'm like, oh yeah, I'll score it when I get a chance, yeah. you know, and uh, sometimes I get to them, sometimes I don't, because I know, you know, I can look at them and say. You know, that's a 65-inch antelope. You know what I mean? And sometimes there's a lot of guys, a lot of my clients are like, man, you know, first antelope, what do you think it's for? I'm like, I'll score it real quick, you know, or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. You know, but I think that's more of just them wanting to know, you know, rather than, you know, I mean, we all know those guys that that's all about. It's all about score. Right. You know, and uh, it's crazy. Sometimes that stuff gets just out of hand. I feel like I feel like my friends that are guys, you know, hunting guys. That's where they're at. Is they they get so focused on scores because that's what their clients want. You know, their clients will come in. Oh, I want yep. a three seventy five bull or or nothing else, or I want a a two hundred inch mule deer or, or nothing else. And so they get so fixated on what that score is. And I'm just not that way. I I'm in hunt into hunting because I like the just I like hunting. You know, I I get just as excited about a twenty four inch four point as I do really anything so especially if i'm with the people that i want to be with so at the end of the day that's that's really what matters to me i agree Mm -hmm. hey let me ask you another really quick question and i'll let you get out of here um and it's about um replicas do you do replicas um you know um yes (laughs) so (laughs) you said that very hesitantly uh, you make me nervous yeah i'm gonna tell you that you know uh, reproduction uh, fish are—is that what you're talking about, fish, or you're no, talking about replicas? No, uh, antler replicas. No, so no, I do not. Okay. Um, that is a that is like a skill that you have to literally like hone. I mean, it is. Um, you know, I've I've actually started watching some of the tag streamers uh, that I follow on uh, on on uh, Instagram and stuff, or even guys that I've talked to a few times. Um, that is a that is definitely a great skill to have. Um, obviously, I don't have the time for that. You know, I mean, that's obviously going to come from the bigger shops and that type of stuff when they have people that are specifically doing that. Gotcha. Uh, but it is a huge business now. Um, I've seen it. I've seen it boom just since I've been a taxidermist. Yeah. To where it is now, where you know, eight years ago, it was very. You know, I mean, it was out there, but nothing like it is now. I mean, there's guys specifically that's all they do every day um wow. and there's i've had a few I, i've had a few animals in the shop um that i've thought about saying like well like my one my sister's bull i mean who wouldn't want to you know 
redo a, you know, almost a 400 inch bull. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, uh, I mean, there's, there's been a few I've had over the last few years that I've thought about it. You know, I've actually told the guys, you know, Hey, maybe you should look into this, you know? Um, but that, yeah, it's a big business now. And a lot of it comes down to commercial taxidermy. So those guys are, are doing those, you know, replicas for commercial taxidermy for Cabela's or Bass Pro. Right. Um, or, you know, uh, fishing games or, you know, whatever it may be, some, you know, fancy house somewhere or whatever, you know, it's big money. I mean, you know, some, sometimes I get a little bit concerned, you know, if you have a, if you have a 230 inch mule deer in your shop and you're worried about somebody knowing that you have a 230 inch mule deer in your shop, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, I mean, that's, I mean, let's just face it, anything over 200 inches is going to be a minimum of five grand, right? Right. And as bigger as it gets, you know, that could be a $10,000 rep you know somebody takes those horns and and you know sends it to somebody and replicas it and i mean they're making money off of it right then and there you know what i mean so, mm-hmm. um it's gotten a lot easier um you know the guys are, are definitely doing a great job on on showing more of it how to do it and that type of stuff with fiberglass and, and different epoxies and and that type of stuff so but uh yeah i just don't have the, i don't have the time for that type of stuff so Gotcha. Not not my deal. It's just yeah, you're very you just see it, you know, kind of popping up here and there that the people are doing it, making replicas for different things. Well, like you said, Cabela's, can, Bass Pro. There's a lot of those that are that are happening, and yeah, so you I've done it. Uh, I've done it. I've done it twice on making a replica um, antler, so like a tine that was broke or something like that. Oh yeah. Um, and you're starting to see, you're starting to see a lot more of that. So instead of which is one of the things that I hate. And I know there's other customers out there that hate it too. Um, but you know, somebody breaks off a tine or somebody wants a tine that was broken already and they want it fixed. Um, instead of, you know, doing the whole process of drilling it, putting, putting a rod in and then building the clay, you could just take the other side if it's similar and then do, you know, epoxy and stuff. And then, you know, encase it and basically build your replica off of that, you know? Yeah. Um, and then onto the new one and then, you know, filling it and then making it that way. So a lot of guys are doing that. You know, I've done it a couple of times. It works well. Again, it's about time and time is money. Right. You know, and, uh, you know, and when somebody like me, I mean, if you have a shop of four or five, 10 guys and yeah, I mean, most times, you know, the shops that have guys that are doing that time repair, you know, that type of stuff. You know, but somebody like me, I just don't have the time for it. So. Yeah, gotcha. Cool. Well, I just, yeah, very curious about that. I mean, just taxidermy in general. You guys, well, and you actually, you know, you hit it on the head earlier when you said most taxidermists are artists, and I, I truly believe that. If you look at the stuff that you guys do, you know, you, you even touched on the fish. You know, fish are unreal. That's that's some serious artistry. But you know, I'm, I'm looking at this bull elk mount right now, this shoulder mount, and you know that that's true artistry right there to be able to, to take an animal that was alive and turn it into that that's impressive it's crazy you know um, that's why you know i put artistry into my business name you know when i was trying to find a business name and you know i thought about it you know am i am i just a tax germist um, or am i going to be an artist uh-huh. and i never trust me i never in anybody's wildest dream thought i'd be an artist <laughs> of any sort and i still tell people i'm like i don't know if i'm an artist but yeah, I mean, you know, bring bring those animals back to life, or as close as you can to it. Um, you know, it's definitely an, it's definitely artistry. I mean, building those scenes, and you know, that's the fun stuff that I like to do is building those scenes around the animals and doing that type of stuff, and 
you know, showing, you know, what you see, you know, and what you're envisioning in that animal. Yeah. It's definitely artistry type, you know, and uh, it's crazy how, how the profession has changed. And, and some, I mean, what some of these guys and, and, and women are doing is just unheard of. I mean, it's just not, you know, and, and some of the projects and stuff that they're doing that you see out there, you know, maybe not even at the at the competition shows, but you're seeing just on their social media platforms. It's just crazy some of the balance that they're doing nowadays. So, yeah, some of it I think is a little bit too much, but man, it's just nuts some of the stuff that they're doing. Well, I've seen a lot of the stuff that you do, and I'll give you kudos as well. You're being very humble, but you've got some pretty amazing stuff that you've done. I was looking at some of your pictures okay. earlier today, and there was uh, one I, you posted, I think, pretty recently. It was a double. Uh, pronghorn mount and i thought that man that is yeah. freaking amazing so so kudos to you and what you're doing you do you do a fantastic job man i appreciate um, it you know like i said i just kind of you know i just kind of go with what the client you know most of my clients just say hey make it look good and uh you know and uh, i just kind of go it's funny I'll, I'll stand there for literally hours sometimes looking at at, at stuff uh, and i'll look at all different directions uh of the animal or the pedestal that I'm building or whatever it may be. And sometimes I'll just leave it and walk away for a few hours and come back. Um, and then I'll make an adjustment and then I'll leave it again. And sometimes I might leave it for a day or two and then come back. And, uh, it's just the way I do it. It's my process of how I do it. It's kind of weird, but, hey, and, uh, but it, it usually works out well. So yeah, it works <laughs> out. Well, awesome. Well, Owen, I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing this information. I, I, I think this is gonna be very helpful for people because, like I said, there's a lot of people that get into this, they get an animal, or before, you know, they get that animal, and they're like, what the heck do I do? So I hope that this information that you shared today will be enlightening to a lot of people. Um, if anybody, you know, I, I think everybody needs to go follow you on Instagram. Um, but if anybody has more questions that we weren't able to touch on today, what's what's the best way to get a hold of you? Is it Instagram or Facebook? What, what's best for you? Uh, you know, yeah, Instagram. Instagram is the best way to get a hold of me. You know, they can DM me or on Instagram, or they can just text me uh, on my cell phone, or just give me a call. Okay. Um, I, you know, when I'm working in in the shop, I have my earpieces in, and and that's the easiest way. It's actually been the best thing ever. <laughs> but uh, you know, w- w- when you're mounting an animal and you just can't answer your phone, you already have your earbuds in, so you're like, oh yeah, it's, yeah. it's working well. But I don't have clay or or glue all over my. I, you know, my $800 iPhone. So, right. <laughs> right. But, uh, yeah, that's, you know, that's usually the best way to get hold of me. You know, they can call text or, you know, direct message me on Instagram. So, okay. And if anybody's up in the Gillette, Wyoming area and shoot a monster, uh, give him a call. Cause he does some pretty amazing work. If you go onto his, his Instagram page, it's Prairie ghost artistry. Um, all one word, but, uh, go on and check it out. He's got some pretty amazing stuff. Like I said, I was on there earlier today looking at, at some of the stuff and, I don't know. I'm I'm so weird. I love looking at this kind of stuff. I mean, hunting is my life, my passion, and so I could I spend hours looking at this stuff. So so keep up the good work, Owen. Uh, appreciate you what you've done for E Hunter, and uh, just appreciate you being willing to come on and record this podcast tonight. I I hope that it answers a lot of people's questions. It definitely answered a lot of my questions, and uh, hopefully everybody was able to glean a little information from it. So thanks, man. I appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. Anytime. Cool. And actually, let's uh, let's not make this the last podcast. Let's let's jump on another podcast in the future and and talk more taxidermy. Absolutely. Anytime you come, you know, any anything that you have in mind or whatever, just let me know. 
uh, you know, we could always do this uh, any other time. So I'm always up for it. Sounds good, man. Cool. Well, I'll let you back to your evening. Appreciate you, and uh, hopefully we talk soon.